0: So looking forward to our future projects, I think we've been relatively conservative with our underwriting. And yeah, we're optimistic about Rent growth, maybe not in the next six months, certainly or even the next nine months, but yeah, moving forward, definitely we've got some conservative growth assumptions in the city, given all the things that we could talk about with the immigration and the job
1: story. I'm working, kind of working on my forecast for some some clients, and and I've basically been telling them I think that we'll get back to September 2019 rent levels, which was basically the peak of the market, by the end of 2022.
0: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate.
1: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I'm your host, Ben Myers. I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? It is
2: going. Good to be back. It's good to be back. Episode number... Uh, 15, 15 and a 16. half, 16,
1: something like that. So we are, we're ready to go. We are and, fired uh, up. And we're it's December we're, something today. It's December something on the ground, uh, <laughs> <laughs> rocking and rolling. Let's go. Well, a couple weeks ago, I got a little bit of a demo from our sponsor. Oh yeah. The award-winning award-winning Niso studios, the premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model hold on, needs. Ben, 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 hold on one sec. Steve is enjoying an adult Uh, beverage to get himself in the mood. Sorry about that. In the mood. (laughs) Got to get the listeners what the listeners want. (laughs) They
2: asked for me to have a drink during the podcast, they're getting it. So, wait, you brought one?
1: (laughs) I got got a cold fridge full, don't worry. (laughs) Please, please like and subscribe. It helps others find the show. Niso also helps market your project and launch your sales center, physically or virtually. Visit nisostudios.com and ask about LiveSite, their virtual sales center software. It's the media darling taking the buildings industry sales process by storm. Well, that was good. That was, was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very good at reading things. (laughs) <laughs> I'm very good at reading things. It's one of my, one of my, things, my, my apparently <laughs> one to the of my skills. So we have a guest. Let's not keep our guest waiting. We, you heard his voice just a, for a second there. We've so got some a great
2: you- guest today. We do. And let me read a bit of an introduction. This man has an MBA from the Columbia Business School and is a lead accredited professional and professional engineer in Toronto. He is a Hulseall Associates, has That's a project right. manager in the building science and sustainable building division where he managed the certification of the second ever LEED gold office building in Canada. Wow. Not a big deal. He later moved on to Oxford Properties as a director of development, working on projects such as the $480 million redevelopment of the Square One shopping center and the development of the Eau de Claire Tower in Calgary, a 600,000 square foot class A office tower. In 2015, today's guest started at Tricon Residential, moving up to Senior Vice President of Development in, ni- in 2019. It is our pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. John English to the show.
0: Thank you. It's good to be here, guys.
1: So when we, anytime we have our guests, obviously we give them a little bit of an intro, but uh, we'd like to go a little bit deeper, maybe tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you ended up. At Columbia, in the, sure, in the great yeah. city of, of New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go Thanks. ahead. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm uh,
0: from Toronto, born and born and raised here. I, I lived uh, eight years in New York until I was like age three to 11. My dad moved the family down there for, for business reasons, and I I grew up in like the Oakville of, of New York, a town called Rye. Very idyllic uh, childhood. Came back, cool. settled in uh, Young and Edlington. Went to North Toronto NTCI.
2: Nice.
0: Best high school until... Tried L, tore it down and rebuilt it. <laughs> um, went to went to McGill, studied studied engineering. Started at mechanical engineering, but it was too hard, so I went to <laughs> civil engineering. And you know, truthfully, I I liked. I always kind of wanted to be an architect when I was a kid, but I had no artistic talent. And I still have none, and and so I was good at math, and so engineering was a good fit. And and I didn't know really what engineering did, but I was like, I kind of want to work on. On bridges more than I want to work on cars, Fair. so so I, I went into civil and it was a great decision. Uh, when I graduated, I, I managed somehow. It was it was a good time to graduate, two thousand five. Like they were just there were jobs. It was, uh, Things it was easy for me and my, my, my classmates. I, I got a job at a place called Halsell Associates.
2: Yeah. I kind of stumbled over that intro. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's,
0: oh, it's, it's uh well, it no longer exists. So there's no one there to be insulted. Um,
1: it's, <laughs> <anchored> it's, them?
0: <laughs> it's since been, uh, it, you know, it was, it was employee owned. It was swallowed up by Parsons off And then that was swallowed up by Belfort Beattie. And now it's part of Geneva, now WSP, like, you know, these, you've seen a lot of consolidation in the engineering space. Um, but at the time for the, for the four plus years I was there it was an amazing, amazing place to work. I, I got to do two things. So I started off in their building sciences group. So we were doing like building repairs, like window replacements, roof replacements, garage repairs. And, and we were like the consultants, but also the project managers. So we would tender projects and then we would manage the actual projects. So we got hands-on technical experience, but also project management experience. And then after a couple of years, we started this green building group and, you know, I was young and eager and I guess yeah. I, I was a sustainable minded person. So I was like, okay, I want to do that as well. And so I wore, I wore two hats. And so I, I started doing lead consulting for new construction projects. And, you know, I, I suddenly went from these sort of $5 million CapEx projects to really big development projects. And, and I realized, I was like, wow, that guy on that side of the table He's got the best job in here. That developer at the end of the table, who's telling everybody what to do, who's making decisions—that is the job I want. So how do I how do I get to the principal side? So I, I realized I should I should go back to business school and learn a couple things about accounting and corporate finance and so forth. So I, I got into Columbia and I was able to convince my girlfriend uh, to first marry me and then and then move to New York with me, and. Um, it was great. Like a lot of people go to business school and they learn nothing. You know, like people have undergraduate degrees in business and then they go to business school and they spend a lot of money to drink beer for, for two years or 18 months or whatever. <laughs> and 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 you know, me as an engineer, like I was like day one, like, what is this revenue stuff people keep talking about? You know, like it was like it was an amazing education. So not only was Columbia a good school and I met some lifelong friends and and was really in in the world capital of real estate. I was learning a lot from day one, and so it was was a great experience. And we had planned on staying in in New York, you know, getting a visa and and, and continuing work down there, and I got a job at, at Brookfield in between my first and second year in New York. But then uh, my wife got pregnant. As as these things happen, and and we had our baby in New York, and we were like, "This is terrifying," you know. So <laughs> we're both from Toronto. Our families live in Toronto, and so we moved back. And sure. I was fortunate enough to get a job at Oxford Properties. And so just
2: just before we jump in, I'd love to talk about Oxford. I, I am curious mm-hmm. how you decided on uh, Columbia. If you had applied to schools in. Uh, in Ontario, the reason I ask is there are a lot of people listen to the show mm-hmm. who are younger, and I get messages on LinkedIn all the time mm-hmm. uh, from students or n- new graduates with their first job saying they love the show. Just interested your take on the education that you got. Obviously, I understand where you're coming from as an engineer going into mm-hmm. an MBA. There's tons there for you, but uh, would you recommend it for today's youth?
0: I mean, so comparing a school to another is hard because I only you know I only have. I only got one MBA, but from what I can tell, a lot of my good friends went to Rotman or, or, you know, I work with some Harvard MBAs, some guys from Wharton guys who went to whatever, lots of other HBA, um, Ivy, I think they're all kind of the same. In terms of the the level of the education, I think it's what you want to take out of it. I think if you want to work in New York, it helps to go to a school in New York. I think if you want to work in marketing, it helps to go to a school like Chicago where more people who want to do marketing tend to go there. So like at my school, they were like, Shemez Verani was like a classmate of mine, hmm. you know, like that's, that's how I actually got a job at Tricon. Shemez knew, knew the guys at, at Tricon and I was looking to move. So that's a great example. Michael Olin at, at who was at Minto now at, uh, Mattamy, you know, was, yeah. uh, was, was a year ahead
2: of me. So like, was Stafford Lawson there when you were there?
0: No. So Stafford went to the Mesred program and okay. he was there, uh, Maybe a couple years ahead of me. OK. Yeah, I okay. know Stafford well,
1: though. A beautiful campus. I, I, I did one course in business analytics there. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, just stunning, right? Yeah. You know? And if you're looking for campus to be really nice looking, then there's a plus. There's <laughs> a great place
2: to be. <laughs> OK, so let's fast forward. So why don't we jump into, uh, just quickly, your time at Oxford. Obviously, you're working on deals there from $40 million to $400 million in in size. Give us a little bit about uh, that experience. Yeah, I mean,
0: four hundred eighty million. Oxford, Oxford. I got to update my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, sure. Uh, Oxford was a great place. It's an amazing place to work, and you know the best thing about it is the quality of people that work there. And I I met some amazing people who I'm still friends with. And and you know for a big big companies, all companies have churn. So if you work at a big company, you meet meet a lot of friends, you know, it's a great way to, you know, build your network in the city. So I'm really glad I worked there because real estate, you know, it's so much about sharing knowledge, things like this, meeting other people. And, and so Oxford was my first foray into the real estate space in Toronto. So I'm really glad I did that. Um, And we worked on a lot of stuff. I mean, you're doing some industrial, you're doing a lot of retail at the time. Uh, working on one big office project. And and for a pension fund-sponsored real estate company, you're, you're doing a lot of analytics. Like, I don't know what the hit rate was, but say it's like 5%. Like, you're doing a lot of pro formas and you're looking at a lot of stuff because you have a lot of assets. So you're constantly looking at different assets that were looked at two years earlier. And you're like, all right, well, what about today's market conditions? Or what about this idea? So you spend a lot of time you know, I started there as an analyst, like I'm spending a lot of time just in Excel, in um, Argus, like, you know, getting the fundamentals under my belt. And even though I was 29 years old, and even though I had an MBA from a great school, I didn't know a single thing. So starting there in the analyst group, in the, you know, working as an analyst for a year was the best thing that could have happened to me because I really got you know, some hands-on experience as to how to like create value in real estate. And then from there, you know, you become a project manager and then a director and you actually start, you know, steering, doing stuff projects. Yeah.
1: And was all commercial or did you do work on any residential?
0: So I worked on a lot of residential in that we looked at a lot of pro formas. Um, but the challenge at the time we had some great real estate, you know, we looked at Cumberland Terrace, which they sold, shortly after I left, you know, rental was a new business. So there wasn't a lot of comps to look at. And I think pension fund sponsored entities are a little more conservative. You know, they love office projects because you can, you know, get a big pre-lease. And so you can, you can start a project and it's 60% pre-lease, then you can take that to investment committee. A rental project is 0% least when you're out of the ground. So I think it was a harder sell at the time. So when I left Oxford, we hadn't done any rental, but we had looked at a lot of it and I wanted to do rental. And that was one of the main reasons I went to Tricon.
1: Perfect. Well, that's a perfect, perfect segue yeah, to, segue uh, in. yeah, I guess some people may not know exactly what, what, what Tricon does. So maybe give us the, uh, the elevator pitch for your, your product sure. lines and, and what, you know, what's your particular, your, your focus is.
0: Sure. So, so Tricon's been around for, for 32 years. It's original Genesis was as a provider of equity to a uh, mes equity to, um, the condo space. So I think very similar to business to what you do. Um, you know, they worked with, everyone in the city at the time. So it was a, it was a private equity fund. They raised funds, they invested in, in condos, you know, they, Lanterra, Freed, Canderell, just everybody. And, and it was a very successful business for a long time. It went public, uh, in, uh, 2011, I think. Would you happen to know the
2: assets under management prior to going public?
0: You know, I should, but, uh, no, it was a relatively small company you know coming out of the great recession it got into single family rentals in a big way so you know for the first time in the last you know less than 10 years you've seen the ins- institutionalization of single family rentals so we now are one of the largest owners of single family homes in the US we have 22,000 homes wow. in the uh, mostly in the US sunbelt that we own and operate in house um, we also have a uh, portfolio of multifamily assets, mostly garden style, suburban um, multifamily assets. And today, our only active strategy in Canada is building a purpose-built class A rental portfolio. And and, and you guys use
1: out. some like uh, proprietary software, some like AI software to like identify properties to, to purchase?
0: Yeah. So um, it is not my... My uh, my vertical—it's uh, not something I work on—but our our business in the U.S. is really a technology-driven business. If you've ever heard our CEO Gary Berman speak about it, it's it's you know it, it started off you were buying houses at like below replacement value, you know, coming out of the Great Recession, and and now it's this mature um, asset class where you're using efficiencies and operations to like you know how do you efficiently manage fifty buildings in a cluster or 500 buildings in a community where, where, you know, you don't have a plumber showing up to a building, up to a house and being like, oh, I need this piece. Now I need to go to Home Depot and come back. It's like, no, the resident can use their smartphone to send a picture to the call center and be like, this is what I need. That piece gets sent automatically to that house or automatically is put in the maintenance technician's van that night when he's parked in the yard. So when he shows up at the house the next day, it's already been already been prepared. And, and, you know, things like virtual leasing where you can, um, let yourself into a house remotely using your smartphone, talking to someone at a call center, take a picture of your, of your driver's license. They let you in. You can look at the house on your own. Like, think about it. Like it's eight o'clock, you're done work, you can't get a leasing agent to right. take you out to a house in the middle of, you know, some suburb this way you can tour on your own That's great. time. You don't want to tour it with a stranger you anyway. Don't. And so, and then you can sign your lease all virtually. They can do a credit check all virtually. Wow. Is this, so really this is used, all
2: pre COVID technology too. And
0: that it's been an again, not a, you know, I'm just the development guy. I don't manage the, uh, you know, my, my colleagues, Steve gross and Laura Holland do the, uh, asset management and property management in Toronto. But looking at those technologies and how we can apply them in Toronto is going to be part of our, our secret sauce moving forward.
2: So you don't have that technology in the up- upcoming apartments that you're building? So
0: we have one asset that's, uh, exists, the Selby at Bloor & Right. right? Uh, 50 story. I think it's an icon on the skyline, like a red brick building. Um, and we are experimenting and implementing uh, virtual shows So virtual showings definitely, but uh, tourless showings is something that they're looking at as well.
2: Are they all keyless entry, in, yes. the, new, in the Selby?
0: Yes, definitely. And we'd only move forward with with right. keyless entry.
1: Right. That's amazing. So yeah. yeah so yeah. Yeah. No, I guess. No, yeah. Yeah. Tell us exactly. What Selby
2: you're is doing. a. It is. It is a. It's a beautiful tower. I had dinner at. Um, I'm gonna forget the name Maison of it. Maison Selby. Yeah, Maison Selby. Yeah. It's got to be uh, pre pre lockdown too, but a great place. And they have a great uh, if you're looking for somewhere to go on a date or with somebody's it's, it's it's a great place with that little uh, speakeasy in the basement. Oh, highly recommend. Amazing. But the buildings there, you look up from the <clears throat> patio, it's it's beautiful. So tell oh, us a little it. bit about the uh, the project, the property. I know the amenities are mm. pretty fantastic. There's great gym. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, sure. So well, why don't I talk about our program? Sure. In, in, at a, at a, Big scale, and then we'll talk about the Selby. So, we have uh, eight projects right now under under various stages of development. Three under construction. This time next year, we'll have five projects under construction. So, we have a pipeline of about thirty seven hundred units approved. And then on on top of the Selby, which is which is up and running, um, all in Toronto, all in in great locations. Obviously, great locations. You know, the rents need to support. New development, Ben, you can attest to that. Um, we're building a Class A portfolio. Like th- These are assets that, you know, when we started this program, when I first started, we went to New York, we went to Atlanta, we went to Austin, we went to Seattle. You know, we're looking at the way the Americans are building Class A rental buildings. It, there's nothing. I have nothing against the condo model in Toronto, but it's just it's very different than... You know, the condo market in Toronto is based around selling units for the most part to investors. And if you're not selling to investors, you're selling to end users. You want to sell pre-construction. So what are you doing? There's a lot of sizzle. There's a lot of smoke and lasers and, and 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 you know renderings and impressive sales centers. Rental isn't like that. People don't generally rent without seeing their asset, without being able to walk into the amenities, touch these things. So you can't kind of, you know, fudge the the size of your gym, people are going to walk in and say like, okay, this is a big gym. I can, I can cancel my membership. Yeah. Here.
2: You can't show a rendering of a nice gym and then they yeah. show up two months <laughs> like, later and it's the size of can a boardroom table. No,
0: but here's a nice rendering. <laughs> a, you know? a gym. Yes. Also look a little bit <laughs> like yes, a disclaimer in the corner, you know, prices and finishes may vary. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the Selby was our first project. We actually bought it from, from diamond corp. Um, so your previous, former guest, previous guest Mr. Yeah, Bob Bobolowski, was instrumental in uh, in the zoning of that uh, that building, and uh, it 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 had a very unique feature, which was there was this very old historic mansion that needed to be moved in order to accommodate the tower. We actually had to move this three story house twice first we had to move it back we had to pour a transfer slab and then again move it onto that slab so we could excavate four levels below it so when you do go to Maison Selby it's sitting on top of a four level parking garage which is kind of cool the the story behind the speakeasy in the basement is we were walking through it and Andrew Oliver from from Oliver and Bonaccini was walking through it and we didn't think there was anything in the basement like it was there wasn't really much of a basement before and it wasn't part of part of the zoning or anything. But when we set it back on top of the transfer slab and then sort of supported it, we created this new space. On you purpose know, or almost no, by just fluke? Almost by fluke. Crazy. Like, and, and so we had to go back and get a variance to get an extra... 250 square meters of retail space. And, and then Andrew was smart enough to be like, no, this can be our kitchen. And then we can do a really cool, you know, bar down here uh, is and cool. make it, make it a bit of a hidden, uh, hidden gem.
2: It is a great space. Not for COVID though, cause it is tight down there. So you definitely don't want to go down. Uh, no. You got you're sitting <laughs> shoulder to shoulder with all your fellow patrons.
0: You know, I've, I've never, I'd worked in the retail space when I was at Oxford, but that, Seeing the OMB team build out that restaurant and how much like sweat equity goes into these spaces. Like I, I just, I feel for these people. Like it's, yeah. you know, the, these aren't cookie cutter, like people have sunk a lot of money into it, you know, like. Not just a lot money, of,
2: but time, yeah. energy, passion, yeah. years and years of their crafting their trade yeah. to become good at not only. The, you know, the, the food aspect, but the ambiance and the feel and the decor, it's, yeah. it's, it's a tragedy for it really sure. Is. It so really do you own the, do you own yeah. the shell? Is, is it yours? The, yeah. the restaurant, is it part of your building or so, are they a tenant of yours? Yes, they're okay. a tenant of okay. ours.
0: Yeah. And the second and third floor of that, that heritage mansion has some really unique amenity space. Oh, yeah. And then we have some very cool amenity space in the tower.
2: So what amenity space is in the actual building?
0: In the So in the tower, we have a very large gym, 3,500-square-foot gym, like a proper gym. You're going to walk in there, and you're going to cancel your Good Life membership. And is
2: it just for the tenants of just the building? Just for the tenants, Wow.
0: Yeah. We have a, a, a... Call it a party room. I hate that word, party room, you know, but it's <laughs> what it is. We have, a, like, a social room um, where that that's sort of demisable so tenants can come in and, and 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 book off or just casually kind of separate the different rooms with a demonstration kitchen and then some barbecue space we have a beautiful outdoor pool with loungers all designed by claude cormier and then in the actual um top two floors of the, of the mansion we have um sort of a space that can be rented out like a bit of an attic Room that has like some uh, pool table, ping pong, some arcade games, very large TV and couches, and then, of course, a, a theater room.
1: So Sounds like a good place to live. It really
0: is. It really is. It's a fantastic, fantastic building.
1: That's awesome. Um- so back, uh, you know, back in my Urbanation days, I used to do a lot of presentations for uh, for TriCon. Obviously, the offices were really close, and and I think I was telling this story. Uh, most times, I would just put a PowerPoint together and do no preparation. But when I was when I would go do one for for Gary and your team, I had to do a lot of preparation because yeah. they was just so smart, and they would ask questions that no one else was mm-hmm. ever asking. Right, so it was interesting that you know they moved away from you know sponsoring uh, um, you know high rise condo developers into mm-hmm. the to the rental space. What is kind of the thesis behind you know purpose-built rental and and, and has is your mind mindset changing at all with kind of what's happening in the world right now?
0: So I mean, why well, I, I answer the second question first. I mean, these projects take seven, eight, nine years like a long time to entitle land, even zone land to get exactly. it ready, then to build it, then to lease it up, then to stabilize it. I mean, we'd have been like you're taking a, a bet on revenues nine years in the future. Sometimes, so of course you're going to have um, you know ups and downs along the way. And I mean, you look at the the years prior to COVID. No one, I mean, you know this, Ben. No one was underwriting seven percent market growth. Like, no, they might've wished for it, but no one was, no one was underwriting that. So, you know, you, we've had some really great years. Um, and this is, you know, things are really tough right now, but long term, like I, I I, just like you guys, I'm sure I firmly believe in our program and, and definitely in Toronto. I mean, you've got the immigration story, you've got the employment story. I mean, the world is an unfair place. Obviously, and Toronto is a very in many ways uh, unequal you know there's a lot of inequality in the city so I feel very lucky to be here talking to you guys about this i I, I think we're going to come out of this and there's going to be and and it's going to be still be a problem because the city's unaffordable for many I think that the the rental market is going to come roaring back I,
2: I I actually tend to agree with you and I've been having this conversation with developers across the city over the last few weeks and months my personal take is aligned with you i think that as soon as the world opens whatever that looks like and whenever that happens i I, my prediction is q3 next year after the summer there's going to be a vaccine and everyone's going to feel a little bit more comfortable and i think when the jobs come back especially the going back to the um the food and bev space, you know, mm-hmm. like all the the servers, the waitress, wait- waiters, waitresses, chefs, all, all those jobs are gone. And if you're in your early 20s and you're paying 2500 bucks to live on King West, uh, why would you do that if A, you don't have work and B, there's nothing going on? Yeah. So you move back to Brantford with your parents for a year and a half. It's not the end of the world. The second it opens up, I think it's going to be roaring back. 100%. And, I, and I do believe that, you know, a lot of these rental economics are going to work out better than maybe they were underwritten in the last year or two years but like you like you said for us you know when we're doing underwriting we've been doing a lot of we'll get into you know the pbr world Pur- purpose bill rental you know we have the the it's sort of like the discussion do we underwrite at today's current mm-hmm. rates which are obviously you know mm-hmm. according to bullpen consulting down at least 20 percent <laughs> do
1: you according underwrite the that bullpen I, do, consulting and rentals.ca national rent report <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one do you write yeah do you underwrite it at
2: at, at those numbers, or do you you know you like do you underwrite it what you anticipate four years mm. six years eight years sure. out it's, it's it's a very tough conversation because mm. you never want to assume the market's going to go up in any kind of conservative mm-hmm. underwriting, so that must be a challenge for you guys, especially when looking to acquire new pieces of mm-hmm. dirt. The numbers may only work, assuming some escalation, even if it's just natural inflation
0: yeah, so you know on the on the first point about you know I mean, Ben, I, I don't, I don't consider you a, a housing bear at all. No, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rents, rents might be down, you know, macro, but like part of our thesis, and you said this earlier, but Like, what was our thesis? Like we believed and believe even more so today that tenants are going to be attracted to a professionally managed building where when your sink leaks in the middle of the night, you don't have to call a guy in Vancouver or Brampton there's a number you can call and when you want to talk about your rent there is a number you can call and there is a you know a, a person a, you can go see is that exactly is that possible? There's, there's well yes post covid virtually be, yes um, so that was our thesis and that's proven definitely when we leased up the building and it's, it's, it's true now. So, you know, I, I can't go into sp- specifics about the Selby, but we're definitely outperforming the market. I mean, you've got all the marketing spend, you've got, you know, the search engine optimization, you're competing against mom and pop investors who are just trying to lease out one unit. And 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 they don't have this sort of the like the amount of work that our team is going into right now to keep the Selby occupied and and you know to continue to to, to lease it as as people sometimes do move back home to mm-hmm. to, to Brampton. Um, I think that that thesis is, is is proving out. So looking forward to our future projects. I think we've been relatively conservative with our underwriting, and yeah, we're optimistic about. Rent growth, maybe not in the next six months, certainly or even the next nine months, but yeah, moving forward, definitely we've got some conservative growth assumptions in the city, given all the things that we could talk about with the immigration and the I, job story. You
1: know, I'm working, kind of working on my forecast for some some clients, and and I've basically been telling them I think that we'll get back to September 2019 rent levels, which was basically the peak of the market, by the end of 2022. So uh, it's it's fairly short, right? You know, especially when I keep telling them that we're going to continue to go down for the next three or four months. Um, so it's so I'm on board with the kind of snapback in the market. But I did have a question on here, which is just my it's really just my personal interest. When you're underwriting a deal, and this is a number that I've always struggled with, what type of premium are you building in for your product for maybe a completed? you know, recently completed new condo building Mm -hmm. that's investors are leasing units. What do you think that professionally managed, you know, uh, there's, uh, you know, your tenure is not going to be, you know, the unit's not going to be sold out for money to you. You have security of tenure. What do you think that value is? is? Have you ever, you guys ever had that internal conversation?
0: Oh yeah, a lot. I I can tell you we don't underwrite that premium, but you are comparing yourself to the best product out there. Because you could say, you know, it, when we were leasing up at, at Bloor and Sherburn, for example, um, like when we were starting that project, there wasn't any new product being built. So if you said like, Oh, well what are the you know, what are the Saint Jamestown buildings get that wouldn't have been a very good comp at the time. So you, you might need have to had look
1: ex condos or couture or exactly. We needed or to go, like that, f- we right? needed to
0: look at you know, a little further west to the to the Bluery submarket, uh the western, you know, eastern portion of the blurry uh sub-market to get good comps and you compare yourselves like we do tons of product tour like i feel like i've been in 150 condos in this city like you you have to look at what's being offered and you need to compare yourself to that and 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 you have to look at gross rents you can't just look at like oh they're getting six bucks down there it's like well they're building 300 square foot apartments right, right. we aren't gonna build that you know we have to look at what can we build and rent for the next 50 years. We talk about walking people into their apartment. Renters don't care How big their unit is, they walk in and they feel it. You know, is my couch going to fit there? Is my TV going to fit in there? If if someone calls the Selby and is like, What's your rent per square foot? That's not a renter, that's Ben or it's one of our competitors. Okay, so my next
2: question is, What's the average price per foot in the Selby? (laughs) What are you averaging?
1: But I guess that's irrelevant or that's just a data question. One thing, not to interrupt, but I had another question on there, which one thing I do love is. I go on your website, and you have the floor plans, and you actually have the rents for those floor plans, and you have which floors are available. And I just absolutely love transparency. I hate when they're like, "Well, why don't you come down here and take a look?" All right, when people or are coming down to they Texas, they waste your time. You go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they are. You, you go, you know, not like I've been looking for rentals in a while, but you know, to to have someone come to your your building and then have a unit that's you know, forty percent higher than their budget is just so ridiculous. So, is, is was that a conscious decision, or was that the marketing department that said, "Hey, let's" or Rhapsody or whoever's you know managing the building on your behalf.
0: So, we we self manage our building. Rhapsody was our our partner when we first launched, but as we started to build scale, as we bought our multifamily portfolio in the U.S. and you know we sort of have a uh, uh, what we call Tricon One, sort of a, 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 an approach to all our operations are going to be under under one vertical. So Laura Holland is the head of our, our property management group. And I didn't know that, but that doesn't surprise, <laughs> surprise me at all. Because that is, you know, it, it, it's COVID. Like people don't, if people are going to come in, they don't want to come back two or three times. Give them all the information that they want. Like yeah. that is part of the offering that you do, you're not trying to do a bait and switch here. You know, this is, this is our brand. This is our building and we want you to love it. And we want you to tell your buddy about it, who also may be looking. And I think when the market was super hot, the best way to lease up your building was just having availability because people would be like, "Oh, there's a great unit down the street, but there's 30 people lined up. You know, and like, so everybody's submitting applications and there's funny stuff going on because it's, it's, you know, a a condo guy charging, you know, paying a broker one month's rent with us, like, we were up the but It's like, we've got your, you know, take your pick, yeah. you know, like nice we're not playing games being like, we only have this floor. It'd be like, we'll go up to the 49th floor. We'll go down to the 10th floor. Like here's a range of prices. You know, this is, let's talk about parking and, and find your home as quickly as possible. that fits your budget.
2: Can I ask you a question going back? You made a comment about, rentals being built differently than condos. And when you're selling a condo, there's a lot of lasers and smoke machines, which I personally love smoke machines and lasers, but what is the biggest difference would you say in terms of the construction and just, I guess the thought process going into the construction or the development of a, of an apartment versus a condo?
0: So it's, it's, it's the same and it's different. Like, when you're selling condos, you only have so much space to sell. You know, you're walking people into a sales center. They're looking at a webpage, looking at a pamphlet. So, you know, you use color to grab their attention, you use brands. You know, um, Miele does a lot of marketing. So why don't we sell Miele appliances because we can grab some of their marketing spend and and help, you know, elevate right. our product no one walks into a rental apartment and really, well, most people don't look at the brands of the appliances. So, you know, when I'm looking at, you know, to use the stove example, I care more about the warranty I get with that appliance than I necessarily do the, the brand. Um, You know, we, uh, condos often, you know, are focused on things like, well, it's got to be hardwood floors. Well, we do, you know, luxury vinyl, you know, luxury vinyl planks, it's better quality than poor quality hardwood. But for a condo guy, he or she may be like, well, we just need to say hardwood. Whereas I'm like, no, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you this. Like the floors don't need to be, I, they may be nine feet one inches or they may be eight feet 11 inches. I don't have to sell it as nine foot ceilings. You're going to walk in and see the ceiling height. So it, it's sort of this idea, you know, we, we do things like, we we've built units out of plastic at a one-to-one scale in industrial warehouses to like walk in and like actually like test some of the things that we've done. We're starting to look at virtual reality, not to help us, uh, lease our units, but to help us make better decisions. Um, you know, we, we, we think about things like, you know, storage, like that's like, that's not going to help you sell a condo, but it is going to help you rent a unit yeah. because when you're actually looking to move in next month, you're like, where am I going to fit my hockey bag? Yeah. You know, where is this going to go? And that's so a
2: great problem to solve. If you could figure that out, well, in the, the condo because <laughs> no, they stink that's, and that's, you can only put them on the balcony four to six months a year. Well,
0: that's a store. That's what storage <laughs> lockers are for. But the balcony, that's a great question as well. So, you know, balconies people are split on them right some people love balconies some people don't i think over a certain height
2: people don't love balconies
0: over a certain height people won't go out on i mean i went out on the penthouse balcony at uh at uh what's it called one blue east i was like against the glass like terrified i don't really like heights so i feel like yeah, I think given the option, having a balcony or not, most people would say, oh, I'd rather take the balcony. But if you said, okay, would you rather have this balcony or, or maybe more indoor space? Or, you know, we, could we save that money, save that future maintenance liability and and spend that money elsewhere? I think we've done that. So we've tended to do fewer balconies than a condo developer who, like the condo developer may be like, we need to do a balcony because it's a check the box for some investors, for us, you know, maybe we'll do half, or maybe we'll do 25 percent, right. or, or, or none, right. If you want a balcony we've got a unit over here to show if you don't care we've got these great juliet this great juliet and maybe a bigger living room or something else that's
1: awesome i mean because i have that debate with some of my clients all the time right like what is the value of a balcony and uh and i think there's value in the larger ones but some of those little tiny ones where you can you can hardly fit a table and chair out there i'm like i don't think they have any value i I, I disagree
2: i actually think personally i think there's tons of value in it. and you look at what's happened the last few months
1: well
0: imagine, having, imagine being <laughs> stuck
2: inside and having like no reprieve at all and anywhere to go i just think that the idea of a little bit of fresh air is always healthy
0: so definitely but
2: I, I, I yeah
0: all our units i would never do a unit that didn't have some form of some form of balcony door because you know with, with with building code restrictions and you have that four inch limiter I mean, if, if that, that's all you have, it's going to feel like a, like a hotel. So you need to be able to open that door yeah. and, and stand and, and, you know, air out your suite and, you know, you burn the popcorn or turkey. like You're right. Y- you need that. But also our buildings are non-smoking. All our buildings are non-smoking. So you don't want people smoking on balconies. Um, they still may smoke in their units. But um, for a lot of people in older buildings, that may be a... Uh, How do you control that? Feature.
2: Because especially now with the legalization of marijuana it must be I know when I lived in a condo eight seven, eight years ago, it was a problem. People were smoking dope on the floor and everyone was complaining and it smelt and everyone knew who it was and they went to you, know, you went to the the and I actually so fast forward my my uh, tenant decided that they're leaving because someone on the floor is smoking Wow, yeah, so she's staying in the building just moving to a different floor different right. unit. Not not ideal time, obviously, with COVID. Yeah. But how do you how do you manage that as an apartment?
0: It's tough. I, I sure, mean, yeah. I, I managing apartments is a tough tough business, and thankfully, I don't have to do it. <laughs> um, you know, my colleagues who are in it are, you know, they've they've got war stories. Um, you know, because listen, people pay rent; it's their home, particularly in a rental building where they've got security of tenure, which is a great thing. Um, and they have a lot of rights as tenants, which is a great thing. So it is hard to, to enforce things like, like, like smoking, but you know, you do it by active management, by knowing who your tenants are, by creating community. I mean, the best way to deal with things like that is, is peer pressure. Like if you create, you know, people in the Selby have group chats, you know, they have like communities where they, they, they talk to one another. And so
2: Imagine that WhatsApp chat. Oh man, unit four seventeen still smoking (laughs) what a piece of shit. Yeah, well that's
0: that that is that is I think the ideal outcome if if you know, Self regulated yeah, yeah, I think if people deal with that, if you build a place where people have lived there for five years, ten years, each floor you know, has
2: a conch. Yeah, and like, you <laughs> hand it out to the leader of the floor.
0: Exactly. So <laughs> so you know, smoker moves in, and and uh, yeah. you know his his residents him, uh, don't let him onto the elevator, and eventually he'll <laughs> get the hint and he'll move out.
1: I, I did have a question though about the the long term nature of, of owning an apartment uh, building. Is the design? I mean, you guys have a have a, an amazing design. At the Selby and, and it looks very you know modern and fresh. But modern and fresh changes so quickly. Like are you having internal conversations about how you you know what the units look like and, and how that might um, hold up over 10, 15, 20 years? Is that is that a conversation that you guys are having?
0: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So I mean with the architecture, I I think I think Ben, you've told me once you maybe can't find the evidence of this, but I think a building that looks better will retain its value more, whether it's higher rents or just attracting more investor interest. You know, not all buildings have to be icons in the skyline, but we definitely don't want to build a building that we're not proud of. So, so architecture and design, very important to TriCon. Um, in terms of the unit layouts, you try, you know, you have to be cognitive of, of that gross square footage you know the market will only bear what the market can bear but you do want to be a little bigger than your competition yeah. i think i was thinking time. more
1: more of like are you going to do the different colored cabinets or the you know the black interiors or stuff that might you know in in, in six seven years from now like oh that was so or, or is it, that is, was let, so 2020 let me ask, like, a part that, two to that question <laughs> i think it's a good question i've thought about it
2: what about or has this ever come up of okay we're going to do you know sort of this is going to be the style for this, but it's interchangeable and it's easy to to switch out in 10 years when the style changes. So, you know, our tenant is there for 12 years and 12 years, you know, the black cabinets aren't in anymore. But listen, it's like a click in, click out and we could put white in.
0: So, I mean, listen, I I, I think the... comes back to my critique of the condo industry where when you're selling condos, you're selling condos today before you start construction and it looks fresh right. and it's, it's attractive to investors today. We're selling rental units to renters maybe four years after we do the design. So we don't want to be too fashion forward. You know, um, I'm glad this is a podcast I mean, if anyone looks at me, I'm not the most fashionable person um, out there. Yeah, I disagree.
1: But, I, I've, come on. Come so, you're, you're a, I think you're a classic you dresser.
2: Know, I, was fishing, a lot of gray, I was
0: fishing for a A lot of, of gray back in the day. Yeah, nice, yeah, dark, yeah, solid, three piece so, gray
2: suits. Come on.
0: I, too short to rock three pieces. But, <laughs> no, I think we try and be right up the middle. You don't want to be anything too. We're not trying to be different for the sake of being different and and I don't think anyone's going to rent an apartment in our building versus another one because of the color of the kitchen. I mean you look at a lot of our kitchens they're going to be neutral colors. you know we're not going to have a lot of you know and if, if there are going to be colors, you're going to see them in the art, which is easy to switch around and move. It's going to be through the you know the, the Selby the, the lobby in the Selby is in the, the lobby at the Selby is white, but we have a blue couch. We have some, you know, some accent furniture pieces. It with yeah, accents, exactly. Right. You know, maybe you know whether it's a floral arrangement, whether it's pillows, you know, chudkas, uh, you know, on the table, things like that. So, you you, you know, we don't have it in our budget to <clears throat> redo. You know, we're not a hotel where we can you know re- refurbish everything after five years. Well, let's talk smart. a bit, Let's that's go smart. back
2: just a little bit to. Um, affordability and i was uh listening to to one interview that gary berman did and he talked a lot about how um you know rentals Mm. listen toronto as a whole is is not affordable Mm. it's it's not a secret there is a uh, demand a supply and demand issue we are undersupplied obviously Mm. there's a lot of condo and rental units in the pipeline coming up coming down but what is the solution in your opinion to this quote-unquote crisis as he put it uh, and I think that there's a lot of housing bears as uh, you, you alluded to earlier that, that attack Ben on Twitter, but you know, no one wants development, but everyone wants things to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. How do we fix
0: this? Um, so the, the, the secret, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I got no clue. You know, I, the, 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 the truth is, is that there's no one. So the silver bullets are for, for killing, vampire werewolves. Like there's no silver bullet. Like we need, we need a bunch of things. We need to intensify residential neighborhoods. We should be encouraging people to, you know, my in-laws, I built out a basement, apartment and my in-laws live with us, so there's seven people in my house. Best thing ever. Um I think we need to encourage people Could to you do say that. best. Best. W- worse? Best. Best <laughs> B with <a> B? Best. <laughs> okay. Built in baby Built in baby stairs. I was gonna say yeah, um, oh, well, wanna cook dinner, kids go downstairs. nana has got it. It is it's fantastic. But I think we want like my parents grew up at Young and at They still I sorry I grew up in Young and my parents' house. They still live there. There, the population decline in their immediate neighborhood is striking. Like it's just one, maybe two people living in these big houses uh, on the street that, that I grew up in. Like it's, there's a lot of these neighborhoods are, are, are hollowing out and they could easily accommodate further intensification. So I think that's a big part of it. People talk about, you know, four story buildings being as of right in neighborhoods. Like we need more of that across the city. And we obviously need to, to speed up the approval process. The easiest way to reduce the cost to develop a building is if I could get one certainty on what I could build, because there's the more certainty I could, could move faster and 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 just save on on just costs all around. If we could.
2: Well, carrying costs of land financing from three years or four years down to one year mm-hmm. would have an astronomical change on the A affordability and B price points. So maybe, you're C, right.
1: Maybe you won't like that. If the people aren't paying you uh, interest for four, <laughs> four years, four or five years, are they okay. getting approvals? To be honest, I'd be okay with it. It, it. It's
2: In this business, you want people to borrow money and repay them. I, I hear you in <laughs> jest, but I mean, yeah, you want to lend the money. I mean, the problem we have all the time is we do an 18-month land loan. Everyone thinks they're going to get their approvals in 18 months. It's a pipe dream. Yeah. It's a fantasy. It's, you know, it's, like it's it's double. So then they're paying extension fees. Then they pay renewal fees. Then they have to renew for X period of time. It's expensive. And it's not, you know, for the average developer, I mean, obviously the top tier get the top, you know, the cheapest pricing, but the middle tier, it's expensive. Yeah. It drives the price up.
0: Yeah. No, it, it's... uh I, I think that's a huge, huge part of it. And, you know, listen, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna say construction costs need to come down. I, I can't see how, how that could, could be. And I don't think technology is, is really going to solve the issue, but I, I think Lamp it's a prices lot of aren't going
1: anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I think it's
0: a lot of small things. I think inclusionary zoning has a part of it. You know, at the end of the day, we need policies that are set in stone. We need certainty. So if you want to do inclusionary zoning, fine. Introduce a policy, make sure we have plenty of time to uh, adapt, a- to, adapt it. to it, and then keep it in place for 10 years. I agree with that,
2: you for know, sure. You know, like,
0: the, the whole rent control fiasco, where, you know, the one government lurches to one side to introduce, you know, rent control, which was... Um, You know, wasn't flexible enough for new development, you know, didn't give us accommodations to to, you know, play with rents during lease up, you know, while the building was still being constructed. And then it didn't allow for any sort of uh, rent increases to deal with, say, inflation. And then at the same time, the Conservatives then took away that rent control, which you're like, okay, that's great, I guess, but then what happens if you lose the next election? Someone else is going to come in and reintroduce it. It's and the it's fundamental
2: like- problem with democracy and it's one of my biggest <laughs> problems with the Canadian government. I, I love listen, I'm obviously pro-democracy, but it is very challenging and I've been saying this for years now to have a, a, a government in place. It takes them, a new government in place. It takes them a year or two to kind of get used to the job build their team figure out what their policy is actually going to be and then they have a year really to implement and do their job and then it's all of a sudden the fourth year and they're campaigning again and you know hopefully they get reelected if they're doing a good job but if they don't you're starting back from scratch it's it's very frustrating and I, I always make the joke you look at the LRT going across Eglinton we're like a kilometer every year you look at subway construction in china they're building a kilometer overnight and now you know that that's a different style of government and i don't not saying that that's the solution but I, i i feel i feel the same way it's very frustrating you get this momentum and then just overnight start okay new policy
0: you could have you know if, if the conservatives lose the next election we could have three different rent regimes in the life cycle of one project I mean I know. these things take like we were saying seven, seven years. eight years no it's
2: a good like, point it's
0: insane how, how can we plan around that and the, you know the city you know there's excellent ideas and they're reacting to things and if they I'm sure if planning tried to do anything bolder they just get pushback but again like we just need certainty. That's all I ask for. Tell me what the rules are, and keep and them stick in place. to it. Yeah. Agree.
1: yeah. No, I agree. It's it is. Uh, it's a good answer actually to a very difficult question. Yeah, we we're, we like to ask the ask the big questions, right, and the small ones. Uh, let me let me
2: ask you some. So we've talked a lot about um, the obviously this, the podcast is called Toronto under Construction, but it's it's I think it's about sixty five percent of your assets under management is single family rental in the mm-hmm. U S. So you alluded to a little bit of that at the beginning, but tell us a bit about the U.S. market and how it compares to—I want to say the Toronto market—but if it does compare at all to the Canadian market, and you're, you're nodding your head no, so there's no comparison.
0: <laughs> and 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 you know, I, I I just get myself into trouble talking about the the U.S. market. It's way more diverse and way more complicated. And and I mean, the nice thing about what I do is. Um, is I, I i run development in one market. You know, Toronto's a city of neighborhoods, but it's one market. It's under one regime. And and you know, we we'd look at Mississauga and we'd look at other markets all very similar to the same rules that are in Toronto. Um, I can't imagine being a developer in the US and going state to state where there's just vastly different migration patterns and you know, um, you know rules and and job job markets cost markets yeah. things like that yeah
1: just even you know myself operating in the, the greater golden horseshoe just completely different in kitchener waterloo than it is here in terms of like the average unit sizes right you know like no one would rent a unit no one wants to rent a unit under 600 square feet <laughs> yeah i did a right? rental
2: apartment building financing in london yeah, and the cost and the construction costs were so low, were, were extremely low, and our our credit committee, who's mostly GTA uh, developers or real estate guys, could not get their head. Around. And personally, I couldn't get my head around it. I did not understand. We had a cost consultant who provided a report, and he's a reputable guy. We've been working with him for many years, and it got to the point where we we actually had him into our office in in this boardroom to sort of explain to us why the costs were so drastically different and in uh, London and the biggest reason it came down to a couple things but they were building 1100 square foot one or two bedrooms sure one kitchen maybe maybe two bathrooms yeah but if you only put one kitchen and one bathroom in 1100 square feet
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and you have no walls there's a lot of open space the cost is there's no there's no cost for that open space yeah whereas in downtown we're doing 900 two plus dens with two <laughs> two bedroom two ensuite suites and a powder generous. room that's generous yeah no I'm saying <laughs> yeah. so, so
1: you, you're Basically, your cost yeah. just on yeah. that would be double. And that's 100%. why I get so angry when people come at me on Twitter and go, "Developers only want three hundred and fifty square foot units." And I'm like, no, no, like that's my Twitter my yeah, angry yeah, voice. Yeah, I'm like, good. it costs a lot more to build three hundred fifty square feet than it does to build four units at, you know, at uh, at uh, one unit at fourteen hundred square feet. They would love it if they could sell fourteen hundred. There was a sixteen hundred square foot two, foot two bedroom two bath.
2: Foot. Think about that.
0: That's
1: nice. But, but yeah, the there's a, a lot of space. But like,
2: we in, tr- in comparison, we put three units in that yeah. with six bathrooms or maybe yeah. more. Yeah. Uh, so
1: there's,
0: there's obviously a dev- the cost. There's, is a, there's lot. a
1: developer in, in in London, TriCar, and they, they like sell condos for like three hundred and seventy five bucks a foot. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Just like, how is that even possible? Because right. Because the land is a lot cheaper.
2: The finishes are relatively lo- lower end than you'd see in toronto
0: no structured parking probably. there's no
2: there's it's all above grade there's no buildings beside the buildings so there's no like tiebacks mm-hmm. there's no you don't have to worry about your cranes you know like you, I, go, yeah. I go down the list of what you don't have to pay for the dcs are lower your tax your your overall parkland section 37 is lower and another crazy thing about some of those markets is that the exterior of those buildings It's like polished concrete with paint on it. So there's no cladding. There's no, it's, it's a cheaper, cheap and cheerful product Mm -hmm. and it's affordable. I mean, it's, it's the price point to hit the absorption that they
1: have.
0: And all the consultants are probably cheaper. I mean, the cost of living is less out there, so you can, you know the market demands less for a lot of the same services that you see in Toronto. Yeah,
1: I, I I tell some of my clients, I'm like, dude, I got three kids and I live in the city of Toronto. Like, help me out here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> help <me> out here. <laughs> okay. It does for some. Does that it work? does for some of these guys. So, actually, yeah. I want to maybe change change gears a little bit, and I in I've been meaning to ask this question, but I I don't think I've ever asked it in the podcast. Is is there a property that you were underwriting that you didn't take that you look back now and be like, oh man, I we we should have taken we. Should have done that deal. Swing and a miss.
0: So, so yes and no. So there are about three projects that we looked at um, nine months ago. Say pre-COVID, I would have had a very different answer because the Selby opened last year, and our next project doesn't open until Q3 of next year, and so that's a big gap. Yeah, and the reason for that is just you. Find the the best you know risk adjusted returns you can, and 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 we looked at a number of projects that would have fit in between that, and they didn't. So there was, you know, a couple of projects, um, you know, one on Front Street, one in the Garrison area where we looked at, and we were very close to acquiring, and and we couldn't. And and I was, you know, you'd go by, you'd see them under construction, and you'd be like, oh, the one that got away. Yeah. But now it's like, I'm, we're so fortunate that we aren't trying to lease up a new project right now.
1: 350 units uh, right now.
0: It's really (laughs) tough out there right now. I mean, in addition to everything you've said just about, you know, what I, what I think is a temporary hit to market rents, but also like, it's just hard to find staff. Imagine hiring 10 people to, to operate a building right now, all in a COVID environment and then leasing and like, just you go out on the street here, there's no one. Out walking about right now, oh, okay. so so no, I think, <laughs> I think in hindsight, in years, ask me in ten years, and be like, yeah, I totally predicted this, and that's why we passed on that project <laughs> because I didn't want to do it. But um, no, you, you know, underwriting projects is a lot of work, and and you definitely fall in love with real estate, which you shouldn't do. And when you miss out on an opportunity because you know you want it but you couldn't get there, that's that's tough.
2: Yeah. I got another one for you. Is there a deal sort of? Piggybacking on the last question that you've worked on, um, that something came up during the entitlement or construction that you wished you knew about during the underwriting or any lessons that you learned that you could pass along in that regard? I, mean,
0: I think like a lot of people, we were a bit blindsided a few years ago when there was a massive development charge increase that we knew the old bylaw had lapsed and that the city was working on a new one, but the magnitude of that increase—it uh, didn't hit any of our projects. Sort of like you know, we we quote beat that increase, but um, that was a very stressful sort of six months that definitely took years off my life in terms of you know trying to avoid what could have been a ca- catastrophic hit to to our to our underwriting, and and in hindsight. You know, of course, the city was in their right to to do that. To you know, look at their like like we should have read the tea leaves better, I think. But everyone should have. Um, you know, like I've never you know, knock on wood, had like an environmental miss, um, and and never had like you know we've the only project we've ever taken to the OMB was was a settlement that we did with with the best in the business at Diamond Corp. So, you know, we, I haven't you know you meet guys who like buy a site and they entitle it and they they appeal it and they're like we're gonna win and they go right to the end of an OMB settlement and and they lose yeah. unexpectedly and that has just got to be the worst yeah and we've, we've we've never uh we've never been in that situation luckily
1: yeah that's nice
2: so Ben we're right about uh our, our producer Nikki always tells us that we we got we got to try to keep it under an hour. We've hit the hour mark, but we like to end things off with a little bit of what we call the rapid fire. Mm-hmm. So we try and keep the answers to you know yes or no or five words or, or less. No one ever follows these rules, but we'll try our best.
1: <laughs> some of them will be real estate related. Some might not, but uh, we're just gonna we'll we'll we'll, we'll blast them at you. So uh, we'll start it
2: off with an easy, uh, easy yes or no question, mm-hmm. um, and there's nothing easy about this question. And it's, it's actually, I, w- I would love to talk about this for ten minutes. But <laughs> does Toronto need a vacant home tax?
0: Yes, hundred percent. Okay, I'm going
2: to give
0: you thirty seconds to give us your reason. Uh, I mean, yeah, we we've a uh, housing so yes, we need a vacant home. I mean, just take it. Real estate aside, as a citizen in the city, why would I want empty houses on my street? Like, like it's just, it's unsafe. Like, it's the eyes on the street, like, filling in, whether it's neighbors in your condo, whether it's houses on your block. We don't want just empty lots. Right. Do, I, do I think a vacant home tax will work? Hell no. <laughs> like, a 1% tax on an asset that went up 10% last year? Yeah. Like... Come on, these there's, there's
2: the a reason or care less. Yeah, right. there's
0: a reason why they're vacant. It's cuz they're incredible retainers of value and and they're making uh, what did single family homes go up last year?
1: Well, I think November numbers it was like 15% yeah. in the GTA, well, like 17, 18%. Did in you Toronto? guys make 15% on
0: your investments <laughs> doing anything else? Like no. So I, I think yes, but I don't think it'll do anything.
1: Yeah. I, I tend to agree. I mean, uh, just a, you know, getting off the rapid fire. But I thought the Vancouver tax wasn't going to work and wasn't going to do anything. But they raised a lot of <laughs> a lot of money for the municipality by doing it. So, so hey, so it, th- it worked. Yeah,
0: that, that, I guess that's a good. If The city needs money, and if they can raise money that doesn't impact me, sure. <laughs> I will even tax Another, way, uh, uh, yeah, another, another way, exactly. way to tax, <laughs> to quote unquote,
2: tax the rich, that isn't really going to be contested because you're right. If the values keep going at fifteen percent. You're not going to have too many people, yeah. picketing at uh, yeah.
1: City Hall over it. Okay, let's keep going. Ben, okay. Take it okay. Away. okay, this is this is a tough one. I and mean, we and I've actually had this debate uh, before. What car should a developer buy to look successful but not greedy?
0: A nice station wagon. <laughs> <laughs> a Woody? <laughs> no, come that, on, that be, that's a hipster developer. Maybe maybe one of your guys doing stuff in the Junction, but no, like a, a nice Shout wagon. Shout out, Bill Gardner. <laughs> like a nice wagon that's like yeah you know i <laughs> nice like wagon. what i drive but i've got a family right so i care about what i you know i'm an upstanding member of society you know nothing too flashy or if you have a flashy car just don't be seen out in toronto yeah, or yeah.
1: you don't so go so don't, don't do, go don't do laps in Yorkville in your, mm-hmm. your fries yeah, no. go to the public meeting with the uh, <laughs> the gold uh porsche
0: no sorry the right answer to that ben is a bike that's what you should be. <laughs> the Shout thing. out Bill
1: Gardner again. Should <laughs>
2: CMHC get back to issuing thirty and thirty-five year mortgages?
0: Sure. I, I think if if there was the right uh, stress test, in addition to that, like I don't think monetary policy should be super loose that people should be taking on mortgages that they can't afford. But if you can afford it, and for whatever reason you want, you know, a thirty-year mortgage, thirty-five-year mortgage, yeah. Maybe.
1: Uh Oh, that's a good one. I'm glad I added that one. Uh, okay. What did I have in here? Or did you add this one? I don't remember writing this one. Y'all let you do that one. (laughs) What about this one? Who is the smartest guy in Toronto real estate?
0: Definitely going to go with my boss, Andrew Joyner. Um, that's a good
1: answer. Uh, seriously, you must work for a public (laughs) company.
0: Um, you know, there's, I, I think, um, you know, we do a lot of work with dream and and Kilmer. And I, I think, uh, you know, uh, Wayne Carson at Kilmer is very sharp as is, um, you know, the, the, um, Michael Cooper, um, and, and you know, Steve and Bob are very sharp as well. So I'm going to say our partners cause they're smart enough to partner with us. <laughs>
2: <Smart> <laughs> answer. Back to the COVID conversation a little bit clear quickly. Do you believe that at least 75% of, canadians will be vaccinated by the end of 2022
1: 75 that's a big number
0: i sure hope so i sure hope so my 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 dad and uncle had polio when they were kids uh they grew up in um northern ontario border of quebec and uh yeah i hope so do you You think it'll be a
2: pfizer vaccine moderna or (laughs) or other (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm long on Moderna. so please Okay, go with so Moderna. Moderna, sure. Let's Thanks. let's talk our book. Uh,
0: but no, I, I hope I'm like so pro vaccine. Uh, if I had vaccines, I would vaccinate both you guys right now against. Like,
2: we should be vaccinating people. I saw on, online that uh, all the former presidents are going to get publicly yes. vaccinated. Bill yes. Clinton, Obama,
1: and Bush were together with their sleeves up. If you were forced. To do a, a high-rise rental apartment deal in Kitchener or Hamilton, which one would you choose?
0: Kitchener or Hamilton? Um, Hamilton, I think. I've just I've been there more often. Um, I, I there's great benefits to both. I would say Hamilton. I just feel more familiar with the market. There's right. a lot of smart people in Hamilton from Toronto who have successfully done buildings or are looking at doing buildings. Yeah. So, you know, follow the smart people. Our friends
1: at Slate Asset Management. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In Hamilton? Yeah. They're
0: looking at Hamilton.
2: So I assume, given your name, you have some ancestors from England, or is that fair or unfair?
0: Uh, I think the term English was a like a derogatory term used for um, Catholics in Protestant countries so so you're Irish I think that's the background on that name both my parents are small town Ontario kind of people so I don't have like a strong and their like, parents from Toronto like my mom's from Bancroft Paisley wow. before that no so, so no I'm English no, 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 no,
2: no European eventually yeah clearly okay you know. so my question about your favorite English delicacy is probably
1: <laughs> <laughs> fish, fish chips baby
0: no, so I've spent a lot of time Turkey's in delayed. England. Uh, my parents live uh, most of the year in in, in southern England, and uh, I would say English food is the best. I love really? pub food. Yeah, I love you know like cheeses and breads and meatloaf. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Gravy. Yeah, sure. Mashed potatoes.
0: I mean, I'm a vegan, so I actually can't eat any of those things. <laughs> but if I could, that's I, what I want. Yeah, to I eat. had the
1: best fish and chips in my life when I when I went to England the last time. It was just like so good. Yeah. Anyways, random. All right. What do we, we got next? Uh, oh, do you think that uh, it's it's good for an invest? Do you think it's wise for an investor to buy a pre-construction condominium knowing that they won't be cash flow positive when the unit completes?
0: <laughs> <What>? No, <laughs> no, that's good terrible. Answer. That's, uh, uh, we'll cut that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why would you cut that out? No, no that's a good I, answer.
2: Because everyone, because a lot of people do, a lot of investors do it. That's
0: but it's nuts, a dumb though. question.
2: It's a dumb, it, it, it's not a dumb question. Sorry to, here's, here's the thing that people are like, oh, is that going to be cash flow positive? Like, I don't know. Are you putting 30% down? Are you putting 50% down? Or are you buying it cash? Like, that you, no, if you're, sitting, if you're that. sitting on a boatload of capital and you're mm-hmm. just going to close cash, mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it, it's it's only it's only a, a negative
1: cash flow if you make it a negative cash flow, or you can't afford it. Yeah,
0: and you know what? You like,
1: can't afford to have it. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone everyone uses the twenty percent as the the is the benchmark of what most yeah, investors sure. are putting down. Right.
0: Here's the thing, though. I know people who are. Have great jobs that aren't in finance. Maybe you're in marketing, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a teacher. and and you want to invest your money. and where what have you seen if you're thirty eight years old? like what have you seen the stock market do in your lifetime? What have you seen you know, alternative assets do in your lifetime? Like real estate is something they get. Everyone in Toronto likes talking about real estate. And so even if you were cash flow negative, a lot of people say, well, I get a twenty five year am. Even if I buy the unit next to me, I rent it out. I'm out of pocket so much every month, but guess what? In 25 years, I own a second house outright. A lot of people think like that. And that's, I don't think they're wrong. I think you could prove to them it's a bad investment, but like at the same time, they wouldn't feel that comfortable with any other alternative. So yeah, I, I haven't good. made any money on my other investments in my lifetime. Like who am I to yeah, no, tell people good, that?
2: Another good answer. Okay. This is really, really deep. If you are on The Apprentice TV show, would have Donald Trump fired you? <laughs> Good question, <laughs> Mr. Myers.
0: Um, I've heard that on The Apprentice, Donald Trump just randomly fired people and the producers, after the fact, had to figure out how to like actually craft a story out of it because he had like no rhyme or reason. Like he was just totally all over the place. And the producer would be like, why'd he fire that person? Let's try and you know in post production. (laughs) Yeah, create a story. (laughs) Where'd you hear that? Uh, I just reading about it when the man somehow became president four years ago.
1: Oh God. And thank God he's gone. Ben? What do we got? What do we got? We're down to the end. Should they tear down the Rogers Center or renovate it?
0: Renovate it. Yeah. Like, agree. It's, I gotta uh, agree. I got to agree. Just from the sustainability standpoint, like you're really going to... Plus, plus, how much public money went into that, right?
1: 500 million. Something <laughs> like that? Like, come on. Yeah. It's,
0: it's like, no way should they tear it down. It's yeah. still okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I, final question. Final question. Who's your least favorite developer in Toronto?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got to stop asking that question. Yeah. Um, so my least favorite developer is um it's a type of developer okay because no one's going to give you a straight answer has anyone actually named a person
2: no they laugh and they say next yeah Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) um no i think my least favorite developer is the kind of guy that comes in puts a lot of effort probably a new entry into the scene puts a lot of money into like selling you know like the, the the smoke and the, the lasers like I talked about, and then somehow gets capital like just dumb money, and then they dig a big hole and then it's three Blow years it. of litigation. You know, like it, this there's, is a really, one of those in my one really of those in my
1: neighborhood hard business. and
0: those people often think they can start with like a really small project, which are probably some of the hardest things. Harder, to
2: do. yeah, harder. Had conversation all week this week,
0: and 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 all they've done is they've inconvenienced the neighborhood ruined a whole bunch of probably innocent investors who thought they were getting something more than they weren't. And if they can pull it off, the end product is so bad, so bad because they've been cutting costs from day one. Um, So anyways, yeah, bad developers. It's
2: a good answer. And it's a good message to consumers. I guess if you are going to be buying an investment, property, do your research Figure out who the developer is. Do a little bit of your own internal underwriting. How many projects have they built? You know, you're not going to get a you know a net worth statement from them, but do they have dough to solve the problems? I mean, everyone complains about builders being greedy and making a lot of money. Well, you need a lot of money to build buildings and issues. I've never been on a project. We have 180 deals in our book. Every deal has some sort of issue. It comes up, and you got to deal with it along the way. And you have to be you know have the ability and the capacity to deal with those problems and usually the answer is uh going back to your comment before we started about you know (laughs) solving problems with money it's cost money it's gonna be a it's you gotta write a check so uh it's a good answer
0: i I think um you know buying a condo is a it's a business arrangement like ben you did a great quote once on twitter like when it's pre-construction it's it's always you know, an apartment or a unit or they're investors. And then when the project's canceled, they always refer to it as like people's homes. It's not a home until you move into it. You are investing in a project and just like any other investment, just like any other business, it's about the track record of the person you're investing with. So I, I love that. Like, yeah, know who's building that building and experience is everything in this business. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's interesting how, you know, one last comment before we, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but uh, uh, it's interesting how the market is very shifting to institutions, right? You know, uh, obviously, you know, Quadrio bought the bought the project on on Yonge Street, and, and and you guys are you're huge in the market, and and, and it's it's very much going going that way. That developers are, are partnering with huge, you know, pension funds and uh, endowment funds, and 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 it's going to be hard for some of these small players to uh, to 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 make their way, certainly in, in the city of Toronto.
2: You need the capital.
1: It's a capital-intensive business, right? Anyways, John, thank you so much
2: for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic answers, good insight. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this. Ben, yes. how and, do we get in touch? Yeah, uh, how,
1: how do we find you? Are you on uh, Instagram? Are you on I Instagram? Heard you have Twitter. Are you Twitter? Are you LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm are not you? on Twitter. Snapchat? Or I TikTok. am on Twitter,
0: but I, I won't respond. Don't, don't look me up. <laughs> don't at me, bro. I'm just don't watching. At me. I'm just watching. Um, and I'm, I'm not on judging. social media. I'm, I'm too old. Um, or I met my wife too young for it to be of any importance to me. So I, I never got on Facebook. But um, yeah, you know. Check out Tricon uh, Capital, or Tricon Residential, I should say. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyone can drop me a line. I love I love taking phone calls and, and you know, post-COVID having coffee with What's your people email? who want to talk. Uh, Do you want
2: people to email you or drop <laughs> you a line? Yeah,
0: Jay English at triconcapital.com.
2: Awesome. Thank Perfect. you for sharing that. We appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Last word,
0: guys. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's the most fun I've had in months. <laughs> just, there is nothing at least, else to do. At least so this your is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs>
2: All right. All right. Thanks. And man. that's a wrap.